Welcome, recruiting blog members, to our first edition of a new series of what I'm calling Best of Worst of. Uh, my name is Daniel Fogel, and I am the VP of Content and Community over at Recruiting Blog. Today, I'm joined by Recruiting Blog's Director of Marketing, Katrina. Uh, Katrina, why don't you say hello? Hello, Katrina. <laughs> Now, Katrina, I've found that sometimes it's easy to learn from the worst examples instead of the best examples. And it seems to me that when you're new to a task or process, you can't always tease out why certain things make that process work, but it's pretty easy to see when things go off the, uh, off the track. So looking back, I think I've probably learned just as much from some of my bad managers of what not to do as I have from the good managers. But I think it always makes an interesting juxtaposition as you start to look at the differences between the two. So today... For our new series, I want to explore the best of, worst of, of onboarding and see if we can't find some useful advice to help out our listeners and uh, improve that process. Now, I did some reading on the web trying to prepare for this and took a peek at what's going out there, and I thought I'd share a couple of stories with you from the things that I found, uh, just some of these horror stories that are out there. One coming in from a blog I found over at Watermark Consulting. I uh, was talking about an office building where people work and you have to have an employee ID badge just to get into the restrooms. Although when you start, it takes about six weeks for a new employee to get their badge. It's kind of a big indignity that you have to uh, impose on the employees. They have to ask their neighbors to take them to the bathroom and buzz them in and out. Um, another story, uh, this was coming from Sabrina Sun writing over on the Tiny Pol uh, Pulse blog. Shared a story of uh, one of their uh, listeners over there. This guy said, uh, my new manager met me at the door and dropped me off at my desk without even bothering to show me around or introduce me to a soul. I had to ask someone to help me find the restrooms. I didn't have a minute's worth of training when uh, she dropped me off a file for me to work on uh, with no explanation as uh, at all as to what I was supposed to be working on. I seriously felt like George Costanza being handled the Penske file. So... Another terrible kind of example of people just getting dropped off with no background. And one more I got that uh, kind of stood out to me, uh, James Caldwell saying, I joined a new startup project, and before my contract start date, I was given a welcome basket of goodies, nuts, chocolate, booze, etc., the value of which was deducted from my first paycheck. So, what? Yeah, kind of, uh, kind of some terrible stuff going on there. But I guess for you, Katrina, what was the worst onboarding experience that you've ever had? that I've had a particularly awful onboarding experience, but I think both all of those stories highlight the the onboarding experiences that I hated the most, which were onboarding experiences that really never happened, right? Like, you know you're in a bad onboarding situation when you have to go to HR to ask about your benefits, right? Oh, totally. Or, or you know, you don't know who your manager is. I actually was hired at a company uh, that had an office locally to me and I'm not going to say where because my resume would make them very obvious but my boss was remote and I was trying to find her all day and I had no idea that she was actually in New York that's tough that's right? tough yeah you know, can you imagine going to HR and being like uh where's my boss sitting and to be like in New York <laughs> I'm sure that uh, it's just sad that didn't come out during the interview process this seems like a couple of drop balls there so yeah quite a few. And I think on the other side of the spectrum, onboarding can be really painful, right? When it's overdone, when it's the like, you have a six week course and you're probably spending 60% of your time learning how to onboard instead of learning how to do your job. Oh, um, no good. 
I think that's self-explanatory, painful. How about you, Dan? What's your worst? So, mine would probably be uh, taking on a new role where the job is just thrown at you, kind of like uh, one of the others we were reading about. Uh, no equipment's been issued. It's uh, They give you a very figured-out mentality and a very sink-or-swim culture, which I've always found frustrating. Um, you, you step into the role, and as opposed to kind of uh, any any mentoring or any uh, you know direction on what you should do, it's just kind of like, well... You know, you should know kind of what to to do and not really giving you any best examples, not really taking the time to kind of walk through what would be effective or not effective. It just seems a shame for all that institutional knowledge that's probably there that's just lost in translation. So do you think that is a onboarding problem where HR is not teaching teams how to roll out onboarding? Or is it that, you know, this, I guess... Like setting goals and expectations. I don't traditionally think of that as onboarding, but I think you're right. It totally is. Oh, yeah. The I guess I, I look at it maybe a, a couple of ways. I think that essentially you, you definitely want to be able to pass on a bit of that knowledge. If you're going to be coming into a job and there's people who are doing that job really well and you're looking for the onboarding onto the company and how to be effective in the role, it seems like a waste to not pass on some of those best practices. I think um, there's a feeling somewhat, and I, I had this a lot in my experience, where by taking the time to train somebody properly uh, and start with a great onboarding experience, that like it slows you down. You're not as effective as you could be, and uh, it's ultimately like you know gumming up the works a bit. But to me, ultimately, when you take the time to do it right, you're you're making the whole system stronger, and you eventually get like a, uh, a you know a copy of yourself. Like if you take the best worker and you let them kind of coach somebody on like what to be doing. You can get better and better work over time, whereas if you kind of just leave people to fend for themselves in that sink or swim mentality, some people are going to be great at it, but overall, you're not really making the strongest system possible. And I think it's a really simple kind of choice you can make to be like, do I want to be part of the solution or part of the problem? Like, that's just kind of the way that I look at it. Yeah. And I think, too, it rolls, and you just, you hit the nail on the head with this. It's like, HR can't own onboarding. They can't. Because it's a function of the entire business. No good. Right? Like, yeah. If, if we're going to say HR has to do all the programming, right? They have to write the schedule, schedule all the lunches, however you want your onboarding to look, which, by the way, I hate those lunches. I don't know about anybody else. Um, you know, if HR is going to be responsible for all this scheduling and all that, Really, the manager is the owner of onboarding in a good experience, or at least in, in a good experience to me, the manager should be the one showing people the ropes because they know what ropes you actually need to know. No, it's a good uh, good segue too. So what was the best onboarding experience that you've had then? Like who stands out to you, uh, made it special, made it memorable, uh, gave you the best advantage whenever you were starting out? I wish I had a good answer. <laughs> That's terrible. Um, I, I guess, actually, the best onboarding experience I've ever heard about. I was not part of it, um, but a good friend, he's the head of HR at a startup in San Francisco, and he does a lot of the traditional stuff, right? Walks people through how to do their benefits, all of that, and then four weeks in, he gets an onboarding group of everyone who started in that, in that period of time, and he has them do a fear challenge, and the fear challenge is basically he has everyone write down what their biggest fear is. Uh, for example, he had someone whose biggest fear was to be dropped off on the side of the road with no cell phone. I mean, these are real fears, not you're like, 
oh, I'm scared to get a paper cut. Yeah. And I go into the copy room, right? And uh, and he actually they actually have a budget for onboarding to help these people overcome their fears together. Uh, for example, one person had a fear of singing, so she sang "Happy Birthday" in front of the entire company. It's a good um, thing. It's kind of uh, you know, be in a protected space, but kind of get past the fear. I, that, I can see yeah. that being really good. Well, and it also creates a real bond with the company, and even with your HR department. Think about it. If you if you think about all of your experiences, right? A lot of them are associated with the people who were with you when you had the experience. It was particularly good because so and so was there, or particularly bad because so and so was there. But having a really personal experience at work, I think, changes your whole perspective on work and your connection with other people. No, that is that's actually a great point. It's one of the things that stood out to me from probably my favorite onboarding. For me, it was like a week long onboarding where I was flown out to another city, met a bunch of the other new people at the same time. It was well organized. There were daily debriefs with both our instructor and like my uh, future boss. Uh, we got to do those bonding exercises like you're talking about with the other new team members. There were clear expectations about like next steps and what you're going to do as you got out of that training. Um, the training really didn't stop there either because they hooked me up with a mentor who consistently looked out for me for the uh, next couple of years while I was at that company. And like you said, the, the bonds that I made in with, with my training class there, I, I keep up with still. So there's absolutely something to be said about building those personal kind of relationships that help you from a personal thing but absolutely also from a professional standpoint i think right because i mean to take even one step back the goal of onboarding is to make people want to stay that's why i think that's why zappos has that whole like after you go through the onboarding you can quit at any time mm -hmm. and they'll they'll pay you like you should be figuring out if you actually want to be there during the onboarding and i think that value is lost on a lot of people I, yeah, I can see that. There's a lot of people who are kind of just barely keeping their head above the uh, above the water, so they don't really see the straight, you know, the strategy of getting ahead, getting in front, and getting ahead of that. So, what do you think we could do to design a better onboarding process? I think it needs to be more than just filling out paperwork for legal and getting in your new uh, equipment and your new cube and, and you know meeting the people just right around your desk. For sure, for sure. So, I think one thing is to find unique ways. I think. Traditionally, when you say onboarding, there's a bit of a hesitance, like you're going to hand me, you know, a binder and a checklist, and I'm going to have to sit in a room with a whiteboard and talk to HR for eight hours. Watch videos, so, yeah. Right? And frankly, that sounds awful. Like, yeah, <laughs> true. It just, it's awful. So taking a step away from what the traditional expectation is to, from the get-go, do something that's just a little bit different. I think that would be the first thing that I would do. And the second thing is actually thinking about matching elements from the candidate experience to your onboarding experience. And continue it to the employee experience. No, it's a great point. Yeah, because we're doing so much selling up front because we want something. But when they onboard, what we want, and I say we, the collective we as HR, what we want is for them to stay. I saw a stat the other day that there are certain roles where it – it can actually cost you 3x their salary to rehire. Three times their salary. And I can imagine that if it's that significant that we, we have statistical data about rehiring value, that it's not a low-value role. It's not, you know, Joe Schmo college sales program. Right. Well, I, I think you have the other piece too, where it, you know it's six months before somebody's effective in their position, and I think 
it helps when you're brand new to get to know some of that tribal knowledge about the company and the culture. That's the info that you know doesn't usually appear in the printed materials that the company gave you. And I think it helps to know that tribal knowledge. Um, if you can kind of connect with like a mentor or a peer who can show you around and share it, uh, maybe even prior to starting. Remember a story of a guy I was working with in, um, in, the, in the previous company that I was with, and they were very. Um, uh, you would typically wear one of three colors. You would either be in gray, in navy, or white. And we had somebody who started up, and he rolled into the office wearing like a bright red polo. And like, you know, he had worked for other companies where people weren't as particular about stuff. And it was just like somebody had to pull him down and be like, "Hey, uh, just so you know, most of the people in this company just do this." But you know, it's stuff you can kind of see by looking. But if somebody had stopped him ahead of time, he would have probably felt like he fit in like right from the beginning. Uh, and I think it's it's silly to kind of talk about a dress code kind of deal where it could be so inconsequential. But I think there's a thousand different things that happen in companies where like you can kind of be shown the right way and the wrong way from a very beginning and not feel like the, the new kid in school. Exactly. I, I was just about to say that. I think it's more about how it makes people feel than what it's really about, right? When they tell you like, oh, we're having, um, you know, a team lunch today. Not knowing that that team lunch is happening makes people feel bad, right? They feel like they're not part mm -hmm. of the team, that nobody really cared if they were there or not. It's the same thing as the dress code, right? Nobody cared to tell me that, right? So in my head, it's, it's about how you make people feel. And I would actually even say, if we could take a step back and not think about it, uh, think, not think about onboarding as part of employee engagement, but actually thinking about onboarding as part of the candidate experience. Because if we're losing, I mean, how many, I don't know the percent off the top of my head, but there's a significant percent that quit within the first 90 days. Oh, yeah. I remember that one, too. It was like 70%. Right? What was it? Somebody was like, there, there's a high percentage of employees who are already looking for their next position within those first three months of, of hire. Yes. That's scary. It was a stat from Indeed. They, they always have such great stats over there. Those guys sit on, as I say, a treasure trove of information. Now, um, at the True, SS, uh, sorry, the True SF event that I was at uh, a couple weeks back, some of the recruiters, they were talking about a company who uh, makes a scavenger hunt all over the city uh, with all their new hires to kind of build those relationships. And I was going to ask you, like, um, what do you think of the functionality of if you do onboardings? It's not onboardings by department, but onboardings for the entire company. So you could be doing new hires sitting next to somebody in the marketing or HR or sales, but at the beginning of that onboarding, you could be building those kind of cross-functional relationships. So when you start to do your work, you don't have to worry about like you're brand new and you meet your entire team and you also don't know anybody in any other department if you need to get things done. But if you already had friends from across the company spectrum, how great would that be? Yeah, I was actually, as you were saying that, I was thinking about that mentor you mentioned. Wouldn't it be great if you and your mentor went through onboarding together? Oh, that would be cool. I've heard right, some like companies... Separate onboarding that wasn't so, you're the new kid and these are all the new kids. But it was like, here's your buddy. You guys are going to do it together. And you're going to accomplish challenges together and get points. And oh, I like that. reward you in some way, but you have to do it as a team. I've heard about some people who are setting up a lot of those relationships before you even do the formal start. So like you've got your offer, you've accepted, maybe you haven't cleared out your two-week notice of the other company, but during that time, they're signing you like a mentor or a peer, putting you in contact with them socially so that you know you can talk to them, you can ask questions. You know, um, I'm sure there's probably a little initial like awkwardness, but at least if you come in with one friend, that, that's got to be a better situation. Yeah. Now, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, like, yeah, actually, you know, becoming their Facebook friend, using, uh, it's the social recruiting, but it's it's social retain, retention, 
Yeah. Well, speaking of retention and the uh, kind of employee engagement, I heard another story about uh, a company who was rewarding their employee anniversaries with like banners over the desk. So, you know, it was like balloons up until year five. Uh, so like people would see, you know, at your anniversary with like a number balloon. But after year five, you would get a, a banner that would hang over your desk or your cube. So visually, here's somebody who's been here five years. Here's somebody who's been here 10 years. But think about it, if you're a brand new person, you could immediately just visually look across like your cube farm and tell like who are these people who could probably have an answer to your question, especially if like they're the, the potential like mentors out there. Like it'd be great to kind of see like, well, if you needed, you know, an answer to something, you can go to this person and immediately get uh, that noob question responded to. Yeah. Well, exactly. I was actually thinking too – what if you tried to do your seating arrangement based on, you know, how new people, because a lot of companies are evolving to not just include a seating arrangement based on, you know, you sit with your team, right? They're trying to mix it up. So you meet people across the company. What if they, you know, had one person in every pod or one person on every floor who was your go-to question person? Because a lot of the time you have admins, especially if you have multiple floors, you have some admins who are really friendly, who can help people, who can be a point of contact to kind of get things, get answers without having to go to HR, which is usually the slimmest department to get answers. Now, um, this might be, you have to be a, a company of a certain size to, to take advantage of this, but I know uh, I was talking to somebody over at Google, and one of the things that they do is every like Friday or something, they send out a, an email to you know, 20 random people, people from different departments, different seniority levels, and they all go to lunch together. The bus picks them up, it pays for the whole tab, but the idea is that like uh, you, you go to these lunches and you build some of these uh, you know friendships, relationships, whatever, professional, personal, whatever, um, across things of people you might not normally bump into. But again, um, builds kind of a wider network for you personally in the company professionally it's got to help you because you can help get some things done faster by calling in you know a uh, you know an ask from one of these people so you know it's tough if you're in a very small business but uh if you're in a larger place you can help kind of connect some people who might not naturally connect i think you got a lot of wins there too yeah and i think you actually bring up another point in in my book it's like no matter the size of your business onboarding is still important yeah you know, oh. even if oh, you're a four-person company or a 4,000-person company, I think you still need to put value. Your programs are not going to look the same, but there's still value to having a good onboarding experience for everyone. This is one way I think that the onboarding should almost always start off. Um, and I, I think uh, there's a lot of people who could do this. There's some people who are, but you know, I think there's a lot of us who should be taking advantage. But um, storytelling, you start it with a story. Tell your firm's, your company's origin story. Like, why did they start? Uh, to me, a lot of the, the companies, and maybe you already heard this during the recruiting process, but it's, it's good to kind of be reinforced. So to me, it's uh, very Simon Sinek's start with why. Like you hear when people start a company, it's usually kind of passionate people who wanted to solve a problem, something they were frustrated about. And the more you can kind of tie into that, it's, it's much different than reading like the EVP or like a mission statement. If you actually hear, here's what was going on. This is what A, B, and C were frustrating me. Here's how I tackled it. And this is kind of where we are now. Or if you're leading the onboarding, if you've got some inspiring stories about previous like new hires who came to your class and, you know, now they're the VP of something or they're now the COO of something, whatever it is, that's much more powerful 
I think uh, as an example coming from like a storytelling perspective than it is to tell somebody like, hey, we have great upward mobility. But if, if you actually hear the story of like, you know what, three years ago I was training Katrina and she came in and now she's in charge of you know this and you'll be able to see her later on in the tour. Like that's a very real example that you walk away with and you feel positive. You kind of like this person was in my shoes three years ago and this is where I can be in three years. I'm inspired. Yeah. So, speaking of things that can be inspiring or not that you walk away with, what about gifts? What do you think of onboarding gifts, like welcome gifts? I, I mean, as short of them coming back out of your paycheck, uh, on your first paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> Right. There's that. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's a lot of people who are pretty inspired. When I walk around San Francisco here, I think you see it's like a badge of honor for these people to wear um, T-shirts and swag from the different years that companies were doing things. Like if you've got a T-shirt from five years ago, some event that Facebook did, it's kind of like a, a badge of honor among your other coworkers, or among people in the city. They kind of see that and are like, wow, that's cool. I, I you know, I, I love that brand. Uh, yeah, I'd be interested in learning more about that. Yeah. How about you? You know. As long as it's a good gift, <laughs> yeah, like something that might actually be useful to the person, and they don't find stacks of them somewhere in the office. Like, don't give me a bumper sticker on day one. That's pretty lame, and I'm not a big fan. But something like, I don't know. I actually was at a company where they customized notebooks for you. Oh, that's and not bad. You got the notebook with your name on it for day one. I thought that was a really nice touch. I used to give my uh, my new trainees uh, little Moleskine books. I didn't personalize them or anything, but uh, I think they always liked that it. it was like smaller. You could throw it in your pocket, and uh, it wasn't something they did for like everybody. So uh, I think I was the only guy who was like giving that to my team. But it always made them stand out. I know when they got together, they had theirs, and it made them kind of look like their own little tribe. So I, I kind of like that. That's the whole point of onboarding, right? Make the tribe. No, that's true. And uh, I guess coming back to the point earlier, um, we were talking about like the people sink or swim cultures. Um, personally, I never really understood those people who think that you know I had to suffer through my training this way, and there isn't any reason why you should get an advantage that I didn't have. Um, I just wholeheartedly think that like if you kind of pull yourself out of it, like that old. Uh, uh, the, the fog of not the fog of war, but if you didn't know what advantage you were going to have, you know, coming into a situation, you want to make sure everybody gets the best advantage possible. So I, I think that starts with just making sure that, like, when you're going through these onboardings, it's probably a great idea to like ask the people at the end of it, like, what could have gone better? What else would you want to know? And then incorporate those things and, and make them better. You know, give that yeah. feedback and ensure that you're kind of going to tighten up the ship. And the more you pay it forward, I think the more you pay it forward kind of comes up and it, it pays itself off in that employee engagement which kind of continues to have wins for like your employer brand and uh, the culture it just kind of helps make them feel more like a, a, a family than like kind of a competition yeah and I think the other big benefit obviously is referrals right they want to bring their friends into the loop into the family they're going to say nice things and that speaks more than any investment you make on any website to show off your employer brand or even investments in people I think you don't need to spend the cash if you can invest in people who are happy and do things that help them find their joy and help find their place at work no that's a that's a great point I can't remember if that's in that Gallup poll or not but I think that's a very damning statistic if if you would not recommend this company to your friends or family or peers who are looking for work like that's um it's not doing a whole lot for your engagement. I think to me, it's like a, a brand on the decline. Yes. Well, 
uh, some really interesting points. Um, I guess, is, is there anything else you think that we should be sharing with these people about how to make their, their best kind of onboarding problem, uh, processes possible? I think this is what I got for now, but we can always do another one of these if we figure something else out, right? That is great. Well, uh, members, thanks for joining us for our first Best of Worst of. And like Katrina was just saying, uh, I'd love to know what you think. What was your best or worst onboarding ever? Feel free to add a comment below here, or you can tweet me at Daniel underscore trending, or you can tweet Katrina at... Katrina Kibben. Perfect. All right, guys. Have a wonderful uh, day out there. And please let us know what you're thinking. We'd love to get some feedback on this. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this Recruiting Daily podcast. Well, I'm the new kid. I'm just coming up.